from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, and we are on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we have the dream team today, Michelle and Dion. And the phone lines are open right now. If it's Thursday at noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live taking your calls on Career Talk at 844-WHARTON. That's 844 844- Nine four two seven eight six six. So we've got a great show for you today. It is all about how to interview when you get a bad interviewer, and this happens more than you might think. And to help us with that topic, we welcome Randy Street, who is the president of GH Smart, a leadership advisory firm focused on helping board CEOs and executives make the right people decisions. Randy has an MBA from Harvard and is the co-author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Who, which is the premier book for teaching hiring managers how to select the best people for their job. So we're so fortunate to have Randy on the air today to share from the other side of the desk how you can conquer the interview and land the job. Welcome to Career Talk, Randy. Don, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you here calling in all the way from Atlanta. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you and Jeff to write Who? Sure. So we, uh, we're we in the business of helping leaders pick people and build their teams. And the reason we do that is because interviews out there are terrible. Yes, terrible. I, <laughs> they are. They are. What percentage would you say, Randy, of people who interview are, you know, just flat out not qualified and, and do a terrible interviewer? I know it's an estimate. But... Oh, yeah. So it, it, this is an estimate, but yeah. probably 95% or more. And the crazy thing, it's sort of like driving. So if you were to ask 100 people, <laughs> are you an above average driver or a below average driver? Of course, what do you get? 80 or 90% of people will say, I'm above average, of course, which exactly. is impossible. And the same is true with interviewing. A lot of people think they're good at it, and they're, in fact, terrible at it. And what drove us to write the book and really the work that we do is that, that creates a problem because companies end up hiring people into jobs where they're not a great fit. It's not great for the company. It's not great for the candidate in their career. You know, people end up unfulfilled in their jobs and frustrated and that's just a loss of human productivity, and that's a shame. There's so much that we can do as a society, and it would be so much better if we got into the right job to do it. Yes. So, um, hey, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and, of course, we have the Dream Team taking your calls all hour at 844-WORTON. That's 844-942-7866. Today, we're talking all about interviews, and there are a couple of things I want to share, Randy, about interviews, because I think, you know, people go into these, and they don't prepare, and they think this is going to be a breeze. Hey, it's myself. I know myself. I'm totally fine like talking about myself. But here's a couple of interesting stats that I found. that The average length of an interview is 40 minutes and 33% of hiring managers, that's a third, know within the first 90 seconds if they're going to hire that candidate, which is crazy because if you do the math, it's based on less than 5% of the interview. Now, um, whether or not they're making good hiring decisions, that's something else to be uh, to be argued. But I mean, I think that's interesting that first impressions are very important. Um, the other thing is, and I think this is why the book Who is, is so popular, is that the average cost of a bad hiring decision for an organization can equal 30% of the individual's first year potential earnings. Um, And that's from the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics. So, I mean, with it costing so much money to replace, you know, a potential bad hire, I mean, I think it's in hiring managers' best interest to (laughs) make sure the people that they're hiring are the right people for the role. So, um, So I can definitely see why Who has become so popular with hiring managers. And we're super excited to have you here to share what you teach to these top companies in terms of how to pick candidates. So um, in your experience, Randy, what is the biggest fallacy candidates have about interviewing? So, you know, they go in and, you know, what, what is their biggest, like, um, fallacy? 
For candidates or for the interviewers? For the candidates. For the candidates, yeah. So candidates going in, I think uh, the biggest risk or the biggest fallacy is, you know, you want the job. <laughs> so you're, you work so hard to sell yourself into the job that you might forget to ask yourself, is this actually the right job? Is this going to be a good fit for me? Um, and so you end up in this sort of sales mode. You don't really ask questions of the interviewer. You don't really understand the context. And so you might actually be shooting yourself in the foot and get a job that's not a great job for you. Mm-hmm. So they don't do their due diligence. So, um, <laughs> so you have this hiring manager who's grilling them and they think, I want this job so badly. Or I want to be in this company so badly. They're not actually doing um, their research to find out if this is a good match. So let's let's talk about <laughs> these um, terrible hiring managers. And this isn't a slam, quite honestly, because I've, I've been a corporate recruiter and we were trained. I mean, I'm talking days and days and days of training and retraining on how to do behavioral interviewing and how to dig in deep and, and all of these things. Because recruiting, when I was a recruiter, was my job. And I needed to kind of dig in and find out, is this person, you know, really a good fit for these the skills we're looking for, for the department, for the company. And, you know, you have 45 minutes to do it. So you really got to get good at it. And what we know is hiring managers who are on the line, so they're in accounting or they're in finance, they're in different positions, they have a job to do day in and day out. Maybe they hire two or three people a year. So they're not getting this type of training, which is why they rely on a variety of, of methods that maybe they heard or were passed down or maybe they've seen in an interview to interview candidates and feel like those are, are great. Um, so what you I love that you call this in your book, Randy, voodoo hiring. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell listeners what that is. Yeah, and you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. The problem is brilliant managers can spend all kinds of time solving all kinds of complex problems. They analyze it. They think about it. They talk to other people. They run their spreadsheets. Uh, they debate it and finally make a, a decision. And then when it comes to hiring, because they haven't been trained, they might be walking down the hall looking at your resume for the very first time as they're walking in the door, and suddenly like all that logic, all that thinking goes out the window, and they sit down across from you and they go, tell me about yourself, <laughs> which is code for, I have no idea what to ask you. <laughs> I did not read your resume, so give me the 30-second <laughs> spiel so I can look like I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Give me something <laughs> to hang on to. Uh, and that's, you know, it's really superficial, obviously, and we can talk about what to do uh, with that. And the other thing is sometimes they've got all kinds of crazy questions they'll ask you. This is the voodoo part, voodoo hiring as in uh, methods that don't work. So in absence of training and in absence of wanting to not have anything to ask, they start asking crazy questions, which have nothing to do with the job uh, or really anything that will be helpful to you. But that's what they do when they don't have proper training. And you and you as a candidate need to be need to be ready for these and you know the fact is they have no basis, they have no validation process, so you're answering these and what I find about hiring managers who don't hire a lot is they get better at the interview as they go. So if you're unfortunately the first candidate and they don't realize, you know, what questions they want to ask, they get better. <laughs> so by the last candidate they're asking actually really good questions and getting the information. So if you have the unfortunate part of being the first candidate, you know, you kind of get screwed for the sheer fact that the interviewer wasn't very good when they interviewed you. <laughs> this is true. You're at the beginning of the day. You're the, you know, the guinea pig who goes through their horrible process. The last person has the benefit of some, some learning at least. Yeah. So, so I think what I would love to talk about today and get across to listeners, and, and I truly believe this, Randy, that regardless of whether you're, you're the first in line or the last in line or if you have a terrible interviewer, um, it is 100% your responsibility as a candidate to leave on the table what you want to leave on the table. So even if they, they only ask about your failures, I mean, learning to get your accomplishments across by answering their questions is something that I think you need to do um, because you can walk out of an interview and say, well, you know, they didn't ask me the right questions, but at the end of the day, you still don't have a job. Right. Um, so therein lies the challenge. So the tell me about yourself. So we were just talking a few minutes ago um, about how you know, a lot of hiring managers make a decision in the first 90 seconds. And, you know, that tell me about yourself is often the first question that you get asked. And I think it is a softball in a way because it's a nice opener. I mean, you don't really want that first question to be like, tell me about your biggest failure. I mean, <laughs> that, ah, you know, whoa, let's let's just ease in here. So I, I do think in some respects, um, 
it's it's a it's an opportunity for you as a candidate to say, let's just pretend this is my only question. Let's just pretend I don't get any other questions. What do I want to make sure I convey in this answer to, you know, to make sure that I leave on the table what I want? So, so you know, do you have any tips in terms of what you would advise candidates to put into this answer? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the most common what we would call voodoo hiring method. We call it the art critic. It's sort of the idea of walking in to a, a gallery and seeing a painting and judging its value just you know, basically how it looks and, and uh, not having any real background on it. And so when you get asked this question by the, the art critic, tell me about yourself, the thing you don't want to do is you know, come in unprepared and stammer and stutter and go, ah, uh, well, you know, like, where do you want me to begin exactly? Uh, instead, this is a great place where you can prepare for your interview and think about what message you do want to leave on the table. So, for example, when asked that question, you might begin with a little autobiographical information and say something like, well, uh, I am the middle of uh, three children. That makes me uh, a peacemaker. And throughout all of my personal and professional life, I think I've uh, been one of those people who just gets along with a wide range of, of people. Uh, I moved around a lot growing up as well, uh, which makes me very adaptable. I tend to uh, find friends where, wherever I go. Notice in that very short auto uh, start, I've already laid out some basics of who I am. And then you can get into a little bit about your career, what makes you special. You could say things like, uh, you know, professionally speaking, I think there are two or three hallmarks that you will see woven throughout all of my career. Uh, you know, one is I'm a, I'm, I'm a great problem solver. So whether it was when I was serving as or when I was uh, studying as an engineer in college, which was all about solving problems, or in my very first job uh, where I was in sales operations, you know, that was really a problem-solving job. Uh, you know, I, I became great at solving problems. It's something that I do no matter what uh, type of job I'm in, and so on. So it's it's basically about laying out just enough to give the interviewer some hooks, some things that they can dig into. And ideally, they are attributes that you want to share or leave on the table, as you said. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing I like about that approach, too, is that it, the one thing people often forget when they go to an interview is that, you know, OK, you've already had enough of the skill set that they were looking for or qualifications to make it in front of them. And they're not going to waste their time or yours if they're not kind of looking to move you to this level. So now it's about building the relationship. Now it's about, do I really want to sit next to you for 40, 50, 60 hours a week? And so there's an aspect of leaving your skills on the table, which I think is critical, but there's also an aspect of building that relationship and starting to connect with the interviewer because that's going to be something that is going to factor into the decision, whether you like it or not. Humans are, are <laughs> human and they're all about bias and emotions and who they like. And, you know, unfortunately, I know you talk about that in your book, too, that some people um, pick purely on that. And that's that's not a good way to go either. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Gut decisions are terrible. Uh, and we tend to trust our gut when making hiring decisions, which is uh, yeah, has been proven over and over and over is not effective. It simply does not work. Um, but knowing that that's how people are making decisions, you, you can tilt the scales in your, uh, to your advantage by uh, what I like to say is treating them like your friend. So if you come in and you're all nervous and you sort of take this position of I have to sell myself, suddenly you're not being you. You're sort of being this weird <laughs> uh, candidate, uh, and they can't really see you for who you are, and you know they're going to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So the more you can come in and make them feel comfortable by just treating them, treat them like a friend, as if you were out for a coffee or something. Smile, uh, be warm and open. Uh, if you're in their office, maybe ask them about something you see in their office—a picture of their family or a, a trophy or some such thing. Ask them how their weekend went. Uh, tell them how happy you are to be there. Relax. Um, somehow just relaxing and, and imagining you're having a coffee with a, a friend or even just a new acquaintance gets you out of that weird interview mode and it'll allow you to connect with them on a more human-to-human -human basis. Yeah, get out of weird interview mode. I like that. That's a technical I, term I think, Yeah, I think we need to tweet that. Get out of weird <laughs> interview mode. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Randy Street, who is the president of GH Smart and the co-author of Who... 
that teaches some of the top firms in the world how to hire the best people. So, hey, if you've got a question about interviewing or if you've got a we're doing a little true confession, if you've got um, something you want to share with people on the air, whether it's a tip or if it's the craziest interview question you've been asked, we would love to hear from you at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can tweet at Dr. Don Graham. What is the craziest interview question you've been asked? So, um, Randy, to this end, I looked up a couple of these for some of the top firms. So I'm not going to say who they are, but <laughs> a major cruise line that some of us may have actually taken a cruise on asks the question do you believe in bigfoot now for life of me i can't i I really tried put my psychologist hat on randy and say what are they trying to get to with this i can't so you're you're the expert what are they trying to get to in this yeah i've got nothing done that is total (laughs) voodoo right there total voodoo do you do you randy do you believe in bigfoot (laughs) And how on earth do you answer a question like that with a straight face? That's what I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Dion? Bigfoot? <laughs> do I believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> it it uh, depends on the follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> do I get the job if I believe in exactly. Bigfoot? <laughs> do I get paid more if I believe in Bigfoot? Sure, I'll believe. Um, another one that I found was name five uses of a stapler without staples. Now this one, I feel like, okay, this one maybe is kind of the the creativity maybe they're looking for, or maybe looking to see if you're violent, because the first things that come into my mind tend to be violent things. But Randy, what do you think? Yeah, more voodoo on this one, of course. (laughs) However, I'll say, you know, I think what they're trying to do, and so this is where, you know, they've reduced interviewing to this mysterious black art of asking these trick questions, is they're trying to test your logic or your creativity. There's a whole you know, uh, a category of questions like that, uh, or even logic questions, you know, like, uh, you know, why are manhole covers round, or how many golf balls could you fit into a 747? And I think what they think they're trying to do is test how you think and how you problem solve and how creative you are, um, which can be fun, like if you're at a party or something, but pretty useless when it comes to figuring out if you're going to be any good at the job. Well, yeah, because I think what candidates don't realize um, and what you've learned and you, you share in your book is that the, oftentimes they've not kind of tested out these questions to say, these are the answers we're looking for and these are how they apply to success in the job we're hiring for. They, they think oh, this is a great creative question, but if you ask them, okay, now tell me how my answer is going to be rated objectively compared to other candidates, there's it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Right. No correlation with success whatsoever. I think that, yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to touch on really quickly too, Randy, is that I I think one of the things that you highlight in your book that is so critical that I just feel candidates believe is happening behind the scenes, but I will tell you it is not, is that people are putting together a job description based on, you know, competencies that relate to success in the role. And that is, that is rare, yeah, rare, and actually it doesn't work from what we found. So most job descriptions, well, first of all, a lot of managers don't bother with a job description. They kind of wing it, um, which is really scary, uh, kind of going back to that uh, uh, total unpreparedness. Um, but when they do, sometimes you find they're pulling it right off the Internet. So they say, gee, yeah, I need <laughs> That a... sounds good. Oh, isn't that great? I'd like two of those. Uh-huh, please, <laughs> just like that. Exactly. My company's uh, need is precisely like that generic thing I just found on the Internet. So that's not very helpful, and they may not have even read the whole thing. So, uh, But the rare managers who actually have some sense for what they're trying to hire for might go back and say, you know, um, what are the competencies that matter for this job? Uh, And the problem is they're completely unaware that their own cognitive biases and what they think success looks like or or how how to get to that success, not realizing that there are tons of different ways you can achieve the same goal. And there's no one size fits all. And so competency modeling, uh, even when you do it statistically speaking, uh, it, it, you know, the, uh, it, this is probably more technical than we want to get, but the, the correlation between what you think you uh, require in a job and what actually drives success is so weak that it's almost non-existent, mm-hmm. which is to say it's 
Voodoo. Well, not only work. that, but I'm just thinking about, you know, I used to be in consulting. I'm thinking about all of those companies that spent millions of dollars hiring us consultants to put together companies. Yeah, kind of sad, right? <laughs> Dang, man. That's oh, well. you, you just, yeah, you just broke a lot of hearts there. Um, <laughs> so, Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, if you're just tuning in, we were talking all about interviewing. But of course, if you have a question on the job search or anything career related, we are always happy to take your call here on Career Talk. At 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866, or you can tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We're doing True Confessions. What's the craziest interview question you've been asked? And Dion, I knew we were talking about this, so I have to come back to you. I don't even know how to tell this on the air. Yeah, I know. You can you can <laughs> I'll, do it. I'll, 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 I'll keep it vague. I'm, well, no, I'm trying to keep it PG-13, right. but... but like, I wasn't asked a question. It whoa. was just a, 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 a comment based on what I was wearing because I happen to wear a tie to an interview because that's what you do when you're a human and um <laughs> and pants and pants, Please I, pants. I was wearing pants awesome. Awesome. um and he he referenced my tie and he said I see you're that I see that you're wearing a, a necktie and he cursed after that and it was weird well <laughs> it wasn't that weird only because when I walked in there were people cursing at each other Wow. That worked there, so it was it was kind of par for the course at that point. Okay, this is interesting. Now I have to ask you, Dion. So you walked in, you saw that being the culture. Did you did you curse in your interview to kind of like fit no, in? no, no, no? That didn't seem like a good that idea. Did, yeah, like odds are, I probably would have fit in because I didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably should have cursed back at him. Interesting. And may, maybe that that would have got me the job. Huh. Randy, what is your thought on that? So you walk in, people are cursing, they, they curse at you, um, I guess, in, in fun. Um, you know, what do you do in that kind of situation? Yeah, boy, that's a tough one because one, two things are coming to my mind. One is that that's just their culture. And, you, had, you know, Dion, I think you did a good job reading the culture. Uh, or, and this is really nefarious, but it could be a trick. Ooh. I have seen companies do this. They want to trip you up, so they start cursing, or they throw trash on the floor, or they do something out of the ordinary to see how you'll respond to it. They throw trash on the floor? Yeah. I don't think that was this they, company. They want to pick it up. <laughs> oh, they want you to pick it up. Okay. Yeah, because that's really important, of course, for um, all jobs, right? Uh, no, but it's it's crazy, right? They'll, or or the, uh, the other one I've seen is they'll stick you across from a window where the sun is shining directly in your face. Oh, we used to do that. We used to do that. <laughs> oh, done. No, we were tr- like, yeah, okay, I'm talking way back in like the early 90s. But th- that was like they did. They taught us to do these things. The other thing, Randy, I'm sorry, I had to like jump in, but it totally took me back 20 years. They they also said put them in a swivel chair to see if they swivel. <laughs> Are they going to swivel? Right? Are they nervous? Are they going to swivel? I'm like, what does that mean? What if they sw- I swivel? You know, and, and lower the swivel chair too. I've seen that one. Make it really low so they're they're small at the desk. Get them uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean they're already uncomfortable. It's an interview, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I found crazy. a good one. I did not do this, but I was again researching, and I'm always looking for fun new things. So there was a um, CEO who would take people to lunch, and I want to talk about meals and interviews. Um, but he would intentionally tell the waiter before to bring the wrong order to the candidate to see how the candidate would react. Mm. So you go in, you're like, I, you know, you're, you're, you're like tuna fish sandwich, and it comes out, and it's like a burger and fries. What do you do? Yeah, so <laughs> that's crazy. That <laughs> kind of breaks my heart that this happened. And this was his primary day. hiring practice. This, uh, was, this is it. This was like, all right, make or break it. What do you this do? Is, this is what we're up against, folks, mm-hmm. right? This is what we have to deal with. Yeah, so I, I've, like, philosophically, at the end of the day, and this, this is for you too, Dion, I think that we should land in places where we're a good fit with the culture and with the people and the values and the philosophy and the mission and purpose of the organization. And so I would do what you would do, again, if you're out with friends. If the wrong order comes and you would normally just sit there and suck it up, well, then sit there and suck it up. But I think most of us would actually politely ask the waiter or uh, tell the waiter that that's, in fact, not what you ordered, and would it be possible if you could uh, get what you ordered? And obviously do it nicely, do it politely, do it professionally, explain that uh, it's not what you wanted, and see if it's a problem to have it swapped out. And, of course, 
uh, most waiters uh, will happily do that and problem solved. <laughs> it's like you, you take this thing and you make it a total non-event. And if that's what you would do with your friends, that's what you do with the interviewer and make it totally natural and you don't fall for the silly trick. <laughs> hey, if you've been asked a crazy interview question or maybe you've just been in a crazy situation or maybe you're the one asking the crazy questions, um, give us a call on Career <laughs> Talk. <laughs> We're taking your calls all hour. If it's Thursday, we're live at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Randy Street, who is the co-author of Who? The Man Who Trains People How to Interview, and he is sharing all of his tips with you from the other side of the desk. But now it's time to have a little fun with our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Okay, I have to qualify this, but this week's pre-break quiz question was submitted by Patty McMahon, who's the producer of Knowledge at Wharton, which is on right before this show, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern, Monday through Friday. So thank you, Patty, for this question. So here we go. Over the last year, British Columbia finally banned workplace practices that required female employees to wear this. Over the last year, British Columbia finally banned workplace practices that required female employees to wear this. Think you know, 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Hey, if you got a true confession, the craziest question you've been asked, you can tweet that at Dr. Don Graham or you can give us a call 844 Wharton, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk. On Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brown. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. If you'd like more great advice each week, you can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com. And all hour, we are taking your calls live if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. This week, we're talking all about how to interview with Bad Interviewers with Randy Street, who is the co-author of the book, Who, and president of GH Smart. But right now, we're going to go to Brenton in Wyoming. Welcome to the show. How can we help you today? Hi. Uh, nice to be here. Um, my question is, uh, you know, I am a, uh, I've been in sales background roles, um, so a lot of direct sales, but all along the way, I've had to do my own marketing, you know, campaigns, emails. Lots of creative, you know, one-pagers, documents, all that kind of thing. And I'm looking to transition now that I have my MBA um, into more of a marketing manager role. And I'm finding it very difficult to do that both, you know, on my resume and in person. And so I was hoping you could speak a little bit about that. Um, my perception is that a lot of companies <clears throat> have, like, almost two different viewpoints of sales and marketing. And so they look at my background and they see sales, and it's almost like, two different, uh, completely different, you know, areas uh, of work. And so I was hoping you could maybe speak about that a little bit. Yeah. So you're looking to kind of rebrand yourself. Now, are you looking, you're looking at outside companies. You're not looking internally, right, Brenton? Correct. Okay. So, okay. So you want to talk about your resume. You want to talk about LinkedIn. You have to talk about the interview. So, I mean, this is really, um, you know, an interesting thing because I find, you know, and Randy, I'd be interested in you chiming in on this too, because I find that when hiring, um, one of the challenges of not being trained to hire is you, you can only look at a certain set of requirements or skills and you're like, okay, you either have them or you don't, and you don't dig down into the transferable skills that people have. So it's unfortunately up on your shoulders, Brenton, to, to really do this work for them. So one of the mm -hmm. things you want to do is first off understand what are those skills that apply to both of those areas and I'm there are a number of them and you've already mentioned um, that and also you've talked about marketing um, and things you've done in marketing even though it's not been your title that you're doing these things. So I think you have to start highlighting those accomplishments even if they're not part of your core uh, job at the moment, but mm -hmm. if you've been doing them, they count. They count. So think about what are going to be those most impressive, whether they're results or accomplishments or things you've done and supported that are going to be really interesting to the audience you're going for. And then I, I, how do you introduce yourself, Brenton? Like if I said, hey, you know, what do you do? What would you say? I, I would definitely say that I am a marketer. 
and I've kind of called myself that. Um, you know, I, I've kind of tacked on that a little bit and said, you know, I did, did sales and marketing for this company. Uh, my primary responsibility was direct sales, um, but to do that, you know, these were all the intricacies involved, and I've also kind of thought about what you're saying as well and tried to both with my LinkedIn and my resume kind of think about uh, in this stage and age kind of the the optimization of the resume using you know keywords that are found throughout the job description and and where relevant and you know without getting um, off base or, or kind of exaggerating places within my resume. Okay, so you're in marketing and you want to be in marketing. So this is great because this is your opportunity to to take your skills and really apply them to to yourself. So you I like that you introduce yourself as a marketer, but you kind of lose it when you say my primary role is direct sales because you're you're leading me down the path I want to see and then er, you make a big left turn like whoa. Um Okay. So, so my question is, yeah, is that is that the message you want to send? I mean, think about marketing a product, you know, I, I want I want vanilla milk and then you go down you're like but this is chocolate. Wait, what? You know, I mean, that may not be the best example, but it came into my head. Randy, what yeah. advice do you have for Brenton? Well, no, just on that chocolate milk example, Brenton, I, I had a similar experience when I switched my careers. I, and I sat down, I did exactly what Don was describing. I wrote down all of my strengths and it was unfiltered. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get all of my transferable skills to paper. And one of those was cold calling. Um, I hate cold calling. But I'm really good at it. I had done it early in my career, so I wrote it down. And then when I went out to interview and people said, well, you know, tell me about yourself, I kept talking about how great I was at cold calling. Guess what kind of job they all wanted to give me? <laughs> exactly the job I didn't want. And what I realized was you have to scratch that out. So it may be a strength. It may be something you've done. It may be a skill you have. But you don't want to market it. You don't want to share it. So take it off the list. Focus on the... The, the strengths and come up with examples of those strengths where you demonstrated them ideally in a marketing context and focus your energy there both in the interview and then of course your resume and LinkedIn and all of the other channels. Mm-hmm. Yep, I like that. N- not muddying the waters with what they don't want, but really just highlighting what they, what they do want. Now, of course, yes, you have a background in sales and you're not pretending you don't. But what you're doing is you're you're taking, as Randy said, all of those things that have to do with the things they want and putting them all up in the front. And here's the best part, Brenton, is that you were like, wow, they're going to make this guy is a lot of marketing stuff. But you can come in later once they see that you're a good match for the job and say, and bonus, I also can do sales. So now that's going to be like kind of a unique selling point that's it's an addition to having all the marketing skills. So we wish you the best of luck. We really appreciate your call on Career Talk. We are here for you all hours. Thank you, Brendan. It's 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Randy Street, who is the co-author of Who? And we're going to go to Don in Canada. Don, welcome to the show. How can we help you today? Oh, thanks for taking my call. I uh, find myself in a situation that I've been in before, and um, it's a recruiter who's contacting me about a pretty senior role at a president level, and it's in a completely different industry, but they like the mix of my background. And I feel like telling a compelling story about how the two positions cross over is a key element in this type of interview. And I don't feel like I'm putting a compelling story together, and I was wondering what advice you may have about tying two different industries together and making um, you know, a, a real great presentation on that to a, to a potential employer. Oh, interesting. So you've been contacted to do an industry switch, and now you're yes. kind of, like you said, tying the pieces together. So it's interesting to me, Don, that, that they've said they're already pretty intrigued by this combination of skills and that's why they're contacting you in the first place did i hear that right yes okay so um that's actually your your point of entry so when you say you're having trouble tying it together what specifically is is causing you trouble well i mean you can you can make the general connections between you know uh, leading at a high level being surrounded by experts you don't need to necessarily be an expert uh, or, or very technically focused in a particular area. But the question came up before in a very similar situation, you know, about why are you the right person for this role, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're coming from a different industry. And yep. I just didn't feel like I really told a compelling story. And versus using generalities, 
Interesting. It, just does, it doesn't. It, it almost doesn't seem, you know, believable to me. But that's that's I'm not it. Sure how to- that's it. I'm going to give a Randy on this in just a second, but that was kind of what I was wondering, Don, is like, if does it not feel genuine? Because if it doesn't feel genuine to you, you've got to listen to that, and that's probably not your story. That doesn't mean this isn't a good fit, but you have to find your story and what's going to make sense to you, because if it's not genuine and that's what I'm hearing from you, you can't sell it. How could you sell it? Randy, what are your thoughts for Don in Canada? Yeah, Don, uh, two thoughts. Uh, first on the, the industry. So one thing that you might want to think about to see if, this, you know, if there is any crossover is what's, what's the same across the different industries? Uh, and those could be customer dynamics. Uh, it could be competitive dynamics. It could be what drives profit. Is it high margin or low margin? Uh, is there disruption going on? Uh, are there any parallels between the two industries? Because if so, you could break it down to those elements rather than, you know, trying to figure out, gee, how does, you know, consumer packaged goods relate to, you know, high tech or something crazy. Uh, get, get to the underlying drivers and see if there's a there there. And there, there may not be. Um, and so to your second point, um, if you don't in the end believe it, if you don't see the crossover, it may not be a great fit for you. It may not be something you're prepared to do, and it may not be something you en- enjoy doing. So you definitely want to listen to that. I, I, I once had an interview, this was early in my career, where the uh, interviewer asked me, why do you want this job? And I looked around, and I realized in that moment, I don't want this job. <laughs> uh, and I wish I had just said that and saved us all the trouble. Instead, I made some, you know, I did a little tap dancing and all of that in my, uh, my youth. But in hindsight, I should have just said, you know what, this is not a great fit for me. Thank you for asking that question. Yeah, I think that's so important, and that's something, Randy, you were talking about in the beginning of the show, is doing your due diligence as a candidate. It, it, it feels great to be wanted, no doubt about that, but you do not have to take a job, and it's not going to ruin your career if you don't. Um, because here's the thing, the company wants it to be a great fit, too. They want both sides to be a great fit, and if you're motivated, Don, you're going to do great work. If you're not motivated or if this doesn't feel right, you know, you might do you might do pretty good work, but it's not going to be your passion. So I would listen to that kind of inner voice that's telling you, I can't find the the answer to this. Then maybe the true answer is this is not the right time, right job, or right place. Don, thank you so much for giving us a call. We love our international callers here on Career Talk. We're taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go ahead and answer our pre-break quiz, which is over the last year, British Columbia finally banned workplace practices that required female employees to wear this. And I have to go to Dion first because he is he is my favorite quiz answerer. I'm sticking with my answer from two weeks ago. Pants. Pants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you that was right. It's still <laughs> pants. It's pants. Still not good. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michelle. Michelle, what are you thinking? I'm thinking high heels. You are right. Oh, ding, ding. So this all started when a viral photo showed the bloody feet of a waitress at a chain restaurant in Canada who was forced to wear heels during the full shift. At the end of the day, her feet were bleeding and she lost a toenail. Now, I'm not about posting this kind of stuff on social media, but I guess she made the point with this. But uh, yeah, so anyway, a bill was introduced and you cannot be forced to wear high heels any longer. And okay, so... Um, dress is important in an interview, right, Randy? It is, uh, appearance in general. Yeah, so, I mean, but nowadays, though, it's not always the suit and tie. So how do, you, how do you even, like, start to think about what should I wear? Oh, great question. And I think this, is, this kind of parlays into just generally understanding what you're walking into. If you have any access to the company, maybe a friend who works there or, uh, you know, going out to Glassdoor or other websites, try to get a feel for what, they wear. Uh, ideally, you dress as they do, maybe a notch uh, above. So if they're, for example, business casual and you're a guy, you might put a, a jacket on or a slightly nicer outfit if you're a girl. If you are, um, you know, if they're a suit environment, you want to wear a suit. Mm-hmm. So ideally, uh, figure out what they wear ahead of time and come looking as they do, maybe a notch ahead, well-groomed, uh, 
shower. <laughs> well, I'm hoping haircut. that can go without saying, but you know, I guess you're you've seen it all, Randy. So oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from, but I'm sure I saw it somewhere. <laughs> all right, tip number two: shower before your interview. It is good practice to do so. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk here on Sirius XM Channel 111. We're taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we're also doing True Confessions on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. What is the craziest interview question or situation you've ever been in? Michelle, you know you've got a crazy one. I do have a crazy one, and I would love to hear uh, if you guys think this is voodoo. <laughs> or if it was a trick, uh, because I actually, I, I thought it was at the time. Um, I was being interviewed, and this was like a, it was a VP at a very uh, big radio company. So it wasn't like this small little local gig. And uh, they, it wasn't Sirius XM, by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> good, good clarification. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and they asked if I want, he had a mini fridge in his office. There was two men interviewing me. And uh, they asked if I wanted a beer. Ooh. Okay. And it was very casual. Yeah, you want a beer? And were they drinking a beer? They they weren't when they asked. I don't know if they were planning on breaking them out or what, but uh, but that was the question I got. Okay, so did you get the job? I'm just curious. I did get the job. I did not take the beer um, because I, I thought at the time it was a trick. Now I kind of think maybe he was just like a sad VP. <laughs> <laughs> and so, actually, uh, during the holidays, I got the job. We were on friendly terms, and so I gave him a, a like a around the world package of beer uh, as a gift, as a joke, and, yeah. and we laughed about it. So, yeah. But I wonder if that was a trick or not. Randy, was that a trick? Boy, that's a tough one. It was either a trick or just cluelessness. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm right. actually leaning toward cluelessness <laughs> on that particular case. Uh, I've not heard of anyone trying to you know stumble, you know, cause you to stumble into something like that. Generally, I think you made the right choice, by the way. You, you, you do not want to drink alcohol uh, or anything out of the ordinary in a professional setting. Whether it's a trick or not, it will uh, not put you in the right place. So you made the right call, whether it was a trick or just <laughs> a slightly strange, clueless approach to that meeting. Yeah, I think you made them nervous, Michelle. That's what I think. They're like, <laughs> you know, and they resort. It's, I'm thinking, just the way you describe it, two guys... A mini fridge. I mean, it sounds like a dorm room. Like, I mean, when- <laughs> yeah, it was like a big office, and there just happened to be like a little mini fridge in there, and uh, and I guess it was full of beers. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. So, Randy, one of my clients once told me that the interviewer asked them to turn around and um, say something to the plant. Now. This, again, is one of those questions that I'm trying to understand. Is this like, are you going to do it? Like, you know, will you just comply? Or did they really want to hear what you had to say to their plan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, so, where does this fall? In vo- I mean, this is like this is like top of the voodoo. This is pretty top, close to the top of voodoo for sure, right? So you have to wonder, is this... So, like, wow, is it cluelessness? Is it, you know, I'm going to mess with you. <laughs> I'm going to have a little fun here. Do they sincerely believe that listening to you talk to the plant is going to teach them something about you? Uh, who knows? It's crazy no matter how you slice it. Uh, I, I might advise candidates who get questions that are so far off base like that to actually ask for a little clarification. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we bring these up in kind of just fun. um, But the fact is, these questions are being asked and maybe not as preposterous as that one, but but ones that are kind of like, you know, what are you trying to get at? So so how do you gracefully do? um, How do you gracefully answer the question or at least get out of the situation without kind of creating something uncomfortable for everybody? Yeah, I think so. I would I would try to bring the interviewer onto my side, and you you want to see them as your partner in solving this problem of talking to the plant. <laughs> uh, so you might say something like, uh, "Oh, let's say Don, you asked that of me." I might say, "Oh, Don, that's interesting. How can I best help you um, understand uh, you know my approach to talking to this plant, or how can I approach this? Let me rephrase. How can I approach this in a way that'll be most helpful to you? There's the key word." Helpful. How can I approach this in a way that will be most helpful to you? And then 
shut up and see what they say if they give you any guidance whatsoever. Yeah, I just said, you know, you should have said, well, you know, I talked to the plan on the way in and it's taking a rest right now. So maybe we can come back to that later. Um, <laughs> There's always humor. Humor. Yes, clean humor. 844-942-7866. So I want to ask a question about group interviewing. So Deanna and I were chatting about this. This can be tough. Um, and there's two types. One, you walk in and you have three or four people in front of you who are all kind of firing questions at you. And then the other one um, that I've been in and Deanna has as well is when you're like with four or five candidates and one person sort of asking you all the same questions. Like, how do you prepare for these? Yeah. So... Uh I think in your show you talk a lot about thinking ahead about you know, what you want to leave on the table. What, what are the, the key attributes you want to make sure they hear? What's the story you want them to come away with at the end of the interview? And irrespective of format, you always want to be thinking about how to, how to put it out there, how to leave it, leave it out there for them, uh, whether it's a, a, an interrogation a firing squad type of interview or whether you're in a room with a bunch of other people. So on the first one, on the interrogation style, companies do this for two reasons. One is because, and this is a nefarious reason, they want to put you under pressure. They're actually trying to make you uncomfortable. They're trying to uh, put your back against the wall. Uh, And the other reason is because they're just trying to save time, and for some strange reason they think that this is a perfectly natural way to have a conversation, uh, and, uh, and it'll save them a bunch of time. Uh, It's not nefarious. It's just kind of uh, silly. In either case, you want to remain very calm and comfortable and don't let it intimidate you. Assume the best of them. Assume they're just doing it for efficiency's sake. Uh, Assume that they are not particularly coordinated, and it's going to be your job to guide the conversation, even if they're asking you all the questions. It's your job to put the story out uh, as the questions come. Mm-hmm. Um, in the other example where you're one of many in a room, again, it could be a, an efficiency thing or it could be they're actually trying to test how you work with others. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you want to work with them as you would normally uh, in an authentic way. You don't want to, uh, you know, be a wallflower and just let everyone else do the talking. And you also don't want to dominate uh, either. Ideally, you uh, interact with both the interviewer and the other candidates in a natural way where you're part of the discussion. Maybe you, you share the floor with others and even refer back to things that they said or even hand them the, the floor after you finish talking so that you give them space and just show that you're a, a good collaborator in the process of uh, sharing what it is about you that you want them to know. Yeah, I always think about, like, you know, think as you're a candidate, what are they really asking or what are they really looking for? Um, and I think when you kind of start to put that framework in your head, you start to say, okay, I'm sitting here and there are three people interviewing me. What's important? Well, it's important to address everybody. It's important to, you know, incorporate answers and, and relay it back to what people said and as if you were in kind of a group conversation. And I, I agree with you. The same thing in a situation where you're one of many. What they want to see probably is how you interact with the other people. Do you Do you include them? Are you collaborative? All of those things. So, um, you know, to worry less about, oh, they already said that and I was going to say that. And, da, da, da. And, and it's more about, you know, hey, um, I'm going to bring that part in and add on. And so the nervousness part, though, really does get in the way. So how can people who are just who maybe are great at the, the job and are, have a great skill set, but are just nervous? How can they get over that? Like, how can they? We talked about that earlier, like, like, leave that out, though. So it's not weird. But how do you what's really going to help somebody who just tends to get very nervous? Yeah, right. So and that's probably that goes way beyond interviewing, I'm sure. Right. So big it's, it's performance anxiety in general when the stakes are high. Um, and the, my, my best advice on that is actually to learn to let go of the outcome, which is easy to say, very difficult to do. I realize that. But if you approach the interview with the attitude, I have to get this job, you will put so much pressure on yourself. You probably won't sleep the night before or the week before, and you will end up falling on your face, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you approach it saying, you know what, I just want to find a job that's the best fit for me where I can find fulfillment and be productive and add value, and this might be it, and it might not be it, and I, I'm going to use this interview as an opportunity to share what I'm all about and learn as much as I can in terms of what they're all about so that we can make a good mutual decision. 
then I think you take a lot of the pressure off of yourself. And if you get the job, great. And if you don't, that's fine, too. And you have to be okay with that. Um, and once you get to that place, mindset-wise, you actually will find your success rate going through the roof because you can just relax and be yourself rather than uh, worrying about what might or might not happen in the interview. Yeah, and and a big part of that too is building your confidence through practice. I mean, I practice, 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 practice. I mean, that's one of the things I find very few candidates do, and um, it makes a difference. And the interviewer can tell. So, and I, I would also say, hey, if you find yourself like sweating bullets and you're nervous. One of the best things you could do is just put it out there because it will calm you down. It will calm them down. Just say, you know, I'm really excited about this opportunity. So I'm feeling a little bit nervous, Um, you know, just, and then keep going. Then just go on like, OK, you're human. They're human. It's about connecting. So, Randy, as we kind of wrap up the hour here, what are some of those things, the top things you coach your clients, the people who hire to look for in a candidate? Like, what are those critical things for our listeners who um, want to know, what are the things I need to make sure I do? So it's, it really boils down to two primary and one-third um, attribute, and they're actually general. But the primary ones are results and relationships. So mm-hmm. on the results side, what have you gotten done over your career? And how does it match what I need you to get done here? And then the second question is relationships. How have you gotten it done? Have you done it alone? Have you done it on teams? Have you done it cross-functionally, uh, you know, just within the company? Have you worked with uh, people outside around the industry? H- how have you gotten it done? And is that consistent with how we operate here? And so what's interesting about that approach of looking at, at the results and the relationships is that you could be a, a superstar in both dimensions but still not be a good fit for the role because the results you got aren't relevant to the job at hand, or how you approach it isn't relevant to the culture into which you're getting hired. So it's not just about being awesome, it's about being the right kind of awesome for the exact job, which of course is where the first mistake comes, where most, interview, most hiring managers neglect to even think about you know, what really do we need this person to accomplish and how do we operate around here. Um, and then the third, which again depends on the company, you see this more in startups and fast-growing companies than, than others, uh, a lot of times companies do look at scalability. So it's not just what can you do for me now, but what might you be able to do for me in the future. And as, an, as a candidate, you want to emphasize things like uh, your resourcefulness and how much you've learned and grown over the years. Uh, when you make mistakes, what do you do? Do you, do you freak out or do you learn from them and learn how to make better decisions in the future. Are you flexible? Are you adaptable? Uh, Those types of things start to indicate whether you're the kind of person who can grow with the company or if you're really just going to stay in one role for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Those are awesome tips. Randy, thank you so much for coming on Career Talk this week and sharing all of that insight. Where can people reach you? Yeah, thank you, Don. It's been a pleasure being here. If you want more information about me or our books, you can find that at randyhstreet.com, randyhstreet.com. Uh, our firm is ghsmart.com or ghsmart uh, at ghsmart.com. Uh, the LinkedIn handle is at ghsmart. Uh, and then lastly, we actually just published an article in this month's Harvard Business Review called What Sets Successful CEOs Apart? which I highly recommend you check out, even if you don't want to be a CEO. We talk about the behaviors that drive success uh, and what really distinguish top CEOs. Uh, And there's a neat little uh, assessment or quiz that you can take at ceogenome.com. Randy, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. Hey, Michelle and Dion, always fun to spend the hour with you. And thank you to all of our callers. We appreciate you listening to Career Talk every week. We're live Thursday at noon Eastern time. If you want more information, you can follow me at Dr. Don Graham. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111.